Well, here's the theme of 1 Peter. Suffering serves a purpose. Sixteen times in this short letter, Peter mentions the word suffering. Christians aren't immune to tough times. In fact, God uses tough times as part of our spiritual growth. And yet right in the middle of this letter on suffering, guess what subject comes to Peter's mind? That's right, marriage. Husbands and wives. I'm sure you've heard about the three rings of marriage. There's the engagement ring, then the wedding ring, followed by the suffering. It's been said, when marriage is good, it's the closest thing on earth to heaven. When marriage is not so good, it's the closest thing on earth to, well, a rainy day. To me, it's extremely important to introduce a section on marriage even in the midst of a discussion on suffering. For when hardship strikes, when difficulties hit, they will impact a marriage for better or for worse. When suffering comes, will the couple buckle? Will they pull together in light of the hardship or will they pull apart? Will it break the marriage or will it make it better? You see, as we've been discussing in 1 Peter, all of life is a test. And suffering poses a test for every marriage. Peter devotes now the first seven verses in chapter 3 to marriage. Verses 1 through 6 are addressed to wives. Verse 7 is to the husbands. Peter teaches us how a wife should love her husband. Then he teaches how a husband should love his wife. Isn't it amazing that in a letter of 105 verses, Peter devotes only seven to the central human relationship of marriage. I find that amazing. Less than a dozen verses. Actually, if you canvass the whole Bible, relatively speaking, you'll find very few verses on the subject of marriage. Whereas you can go to a Christian bookstore today, and you'll comb through stacks upon stacks of books and CDs and videos. Opinions abound. Why is that? Well, the Bible's marital instructions are basic, and they're simple, and they're doable. Man has complicated the issue. And believe me, what the Bible says about marriage will work if we take God's instructions to heart and if we obey them faithfully. Now, on Father's Day, we're going to target the men and the husbands. Today, I want to speak to the wives. Verses 1 through 6, apparently... Peter believed girls first. And so Peter provides the ladies some instruction. Instruction in three areas. He's going to talk, ladies, about your boundaries. Then about your behavior. And then about your beauty. Then he's going to give you an example. Well, verse 1 establishes a wife's boundaries. Peter writes, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now we learned last time that the operative word in all of a Christian's relationships is the word submit. Citizens should submit their, to their governing authorities. Servants should submit to their bosses. We're going to learn later that church members should submit to their pastors. And husbands should submit to God and to the church. And in the family, 
wives should submit to their husbands. Several summers ago, there was a billboard over here on Highway 78 that spit in the eye of tradition. This billboard promoted Virginia Slim cigarettes. A young lady with a cigarette in her hand, she was pictured blocking her husband's path, suppressing his forward movement. And the ad read, Who cares who wears the pants? Well, let me sound this out for modern ears to hear. Let there be no confusion. God cares who wears the pants. Hurl tomatoes if you like. Try and muzzle the preacher. You can rip Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, and 1 Peter 3 out of your Bibles, but it'll never change what the Almighty has said. The captain of all creation has established in the church and in the home male headship. Husbands should lovingly lead and wives should willingly follow and support their husbands. Now the Greek term translated submissive is the word hupotasso. It's a compound word. Hupo means under. Tasso means to arrange. Thus, hupotasso means to arrange under or to work within set boundaries. You see, rather than compete with each other, in a godly marriage, a husband and a wife, they learn to cooperate. They honor their God-assigned roles. And they live within their roles for the sake of their marriage and for the glory of God. Submission to God is what ends the battle of the sexes. You see, submission for a wife is the willingness to work her lifestyle around her husband's. As he pursues God's call on his life, his pursuits become her boundaries. She's free to do whatever God leads her to do, as long as she orchestrates her endeavors around the direction that her husband chooses. She builds her life where he needs to live. She works her schedule around him. She supports him in his career. A wife pursues her ambitions, but she does so in cooperation and with the consent of her husband, not in competition. And when his objectives and when her interests collide, she yields to her hubby. You see, rather than march to her own drummer, a godly wife lets her husband set the pace. She's able to harmonize. She doesn't try to drown him out, nor does she sing her own tune. She understands her part, and she sings a beautiful duet. Ladies, understand a few attitudes that submission is not. First, submission is not an admission of inferiority. Men are not superior to women. Just watch a man wrap a Christmas present, and that'll tell you. In fact, from my observation, just the opposite is true. Most women are smarter than most men, by far. If the idea of survival of the fittest were really true, women would be leading men around on dog chains by now. You know, it's easy for a man, for a woman to get the upper hand on a man. She's smarter. She's cleverer. She's more talented. And that's why submission to a man for a woman is so difficult. You see, God's blueprint for marriage was designed not because it's the most utilitarian or the most efficient arrangement. There's probably other arrangements that might be more 
useful. God, though, has a deeper purpose in mind behind this picture he's forming in marriage. God's order of marriage portrays spiritual, eternal realities. This is why it matters so much to God. When a husband leads and a wife follows, it paints a picture to society of the Christian's relationship with Jesus. For we are the bride of Christ. He's our groom. He leads and we lovingly follow. You see, marriage witnesses to the world of spiritual truths. God's plan for marriage calls for an ordered equality. Both partners equal in value, but different in roles. In the home and in the church, God wants men to lead and women to follow. A wife should be by her husband's side, certainly not under his feet, but neither should she be in his face. Another attitude that submission is not, it's not being a doormat and allowing a man to wipe his feet on your unquestioning compliance. You know, ladies, if your husband makes a request of you that's immoral or unbiblical or illegal, then it's your responsibility to violate his request. That's when your responsibility to be submissive comes to a screeching halt. You see, a husband's authority is far from absolute. It's secondary to God's authority, the government's authority, even the church's authority. You know, there have been times when the elders of our church have come to a wife's aid. We've intervened in her marriage and we've held her husband responsible for abusing or misusing his authority over his wife. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when the Jews commanded Peter to speak not to speak anymore in Jesus' name. You remember, he defied their order by appealing to a higher authority. He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. All human authority has its limits. Obedience to God always takes precedent over submission to a husband. We'll also understand that don't mistake submission as a sign of weakness. To the contrary. It takes a strong person to submit to another. It takes great courage on a woman's behalf in order to submit to her husband. She has to be willing to live by principle, to muffle that comment, to trust an imperfect husband to set the direction for her life. It takes a strong person, not a weak one. And understand, neither does submission mean that a wife shouldn't have input in the decisions. A wife needs to let, needs to let her husband know what she thinks and why. I think a wise husband will recognize that his wife's judgment is invaluable to him. I know that's the case for me. My wife Kathy not only knows God, but she knows me. No one this side of heaven knows me better. And that's why her advice in my life is crucial. She keeps me honest and humble and she always encourages me to obey the Lord. You see, a husband will benefit from his wife's wisdom, but he absolutely needs her support. For in the end, a wife that wants to please God and succeed in marriage will choose to live her life in the shadow of her husband's life. And God will bless a submissive wife. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, she once wrote this. The best advice I can give to unmarried girls is to marry someone you don't mind adjusting to. God tailors the wife to fit the husband, not the husband to fit the wife. And Peter would agree. 
A submissive wife will arrange her life around her husband. Once there was a political debate going on. Two rival politicians, they had squared off in this heated showdown. The challenger, he asks his opponent, he says, Now what about those powerful special interest groups that control you and manipulate you? And that's when the incumbent, he bristled up and he shouted back. He said, now wait just a minute. Enough is enough. You leave my wife out of this. When a wife dominates her husband, it's really a sign that she doesn't trust the Lord. Nowhere in Scripture, wives, are you asked to believe in your husbands. Hope you do, but you're not asked to. A wife is required to submit to her husband and to believe that God is going to lead him and work through him to take care of her and her family. You know, over the years, I've observed that most husbands will not fight their wives for leadership. Ladies, if you're always vying to lead, your husband will just let you. He'll be happy to let you. He'll just go fishing. Men are taught from an early age not to fight with girls. It's only when you decide to submit, then, ladies, your husband will take seriously his responsibility to lead. Ladies, it's time for some of you to get out from under the steering wheel and back in the passenger seat. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And yet I can hear some of the rebuttals. They're they're already forming in some of your minds. I I can read them. I can see them. Pastor Sandy... That quote from Ruth Graham, that doesn't apply to me. That's easy for her to say. She's married to this mighty man of God. Trust me, my husband is no Billy Graham. More like a Billy Goat or a Graham Cracker. No mistaking my man for a mighty man of God. But but recognize the context here of Peter's words. He's talking to wives married to men who aren't believers. Pagan, heathen husbands. If Peter's instructions apply to a wife of an ungodly husband, then certainly they apply to a wife of a caring, growing Christian. Peter writes here in verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. God doesn't say a wife should submit to her husband only if he's a mighty man of God. In fact, he doesn't have to be a man of God at all. He can be a beer-drinking, tobacco-chewing, pool-shooting, poker-playing, pagan old Joe. And the instructions still apply to the wife. In fact, her submission may just be the key to his conversion. When the gospel reached many first century families, the wives embraced Jesus, but the husbands didn't. And these ladies were now believers married to unbelievers, and this placed great stress on their marriage. These ladies had fallen in love with Jesus. He was now the most important person in their life, yet they were unable to share him with their spouse. These women desperately wanted their husbands to know the Lord. They witnessed to him constantly. They put little tracks in his sandwiches. They pushed and they conjoled him. And yet understand this, few people get nagged into heaven. The ladies Peter addresses loved their husbands, but they didn't want to see him go to hell. 
These husbands needed to be saved. They needed to be changed. Ladies, perhaps your husband is already a Christian. But he still needs to make a few changes in his life. You'd love to see him saved from some of those habits you abhor. And you've decided to join in with the Holy Spirit. You've thrown in your lot with God to help change your husband. This maturing process is going a little slower than you'd hoped. And you want to try to help God out. You know, someone once said, the only time a woman changes a man is when he's a baby with a dirty diaper. But is that really true? Ladies, is there nothing you can do to change your husband? Here's the question. How can a wife change her husband? Well, here's one certainty. Nagging gets you nowhere. Neither does badgering or berating or bombarding, sticking pieces of paper with scripture references in his pockets or in his lunch pail may only make him mad, playing Pastor Sandy's CDs while he's trying to get to sleep might help him sleep, but it may also drive him further from Jesus. How does a wife win her husband? Well, she'll best influence him, not with words, but without them. Peter says, by her good and godly and loving and winsome conduct. Peter describes a wife's boundaries, but then he talks about her behavior. Verse 2, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. The Greek word translated chaste means purity or holiness. See, here's the answer to the question, how does a a wife change her husband? You change a mate not by meddling, but by modeling what's good and what's godly. In 1805, a missionary from the Boston Missionary Society preached to the Indians in upstate New York. After the message, Chief Red Jacket, he replied, We will wait. And see what effect your preaching has upon your own people. If we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less inclined to cheat Indians, we will then consider again what you have said. That's fair. And you know, that's how a lot of husbands react to the witness of their wives. Ladies, you're chief. The chief in your TP. You know, chief expanding jacket. Or or maybe chief stubborn heart. This may be what he's thinking about you. When he sees the gospel change your life, make you kinder and you gentler and you more loving and you more faithful, then he'll pay attention to what the gospel can do for him. Peter clarifies here a wife's boundaries. She should submit to her husband. He then speaks to her behavior. She needs to learn to affect her husband without words. Now he speaks to a wife's beauty. Verses 3 and 4. He says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Ladies, you will never look hotter prettier, more sexy to your hubby than when you spruce up in a gentle, quiet, and submissive spirit. Trust me. 
The real knockout is the woman who's prettiest on the inside. Peter would tell us a sexy figure with a nagging mouth loses its attractiveness way back there. A long time ago. These verses remind me of the proverb, Proverb 11, verse 22. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. When a husband comes home from work, man, he's beaten up. He's been bullied around. He's been bruised. He needs a wife willing to be gentle and kind toward him. A godly wife has a quiet spirit. She doesn't talk his ear off the moment he walks into the house. She doesn't grumble and complain and gossip. A literal rendering of the phrase translated quiet spirit would be she keeps her seat or she knows her place. A real beauty is a wife who works at understanding her husband and who loves him in an appropriate manner. Understand when Peter tells us do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel. He's not prohibiting a woman from styling her hair or sporting nice jewelry or buying some hip and fashionable clothes or using cosmetics. One of my favorite Bible commentators, Donald Gray Barnhouse, he makes a comment on this passage. He says, if a barn needs painting, then it should be painted. Likewise, if a woman needs makeup, then she should wear it. This could be one of the reasons that wives live longer than men. Paint makes for a good preservative. (laughs) Peter's point is not that a woman can't look nice. You know, in fact, a woman who completely neglects her outward appearance, it may be saying something negative about her inner health. But her focus, her priority should be a godly character, not some gaudy appearance. Peter wants us to realize that true beauty is inward, not outward. Beauty of the heart is what pleases God and what makes a husband happy. Ladies, do you spend more time in the mirror than you do in God's Word? I ran, a quote, I ran across a quote by comedian Elaine Boozler. She writes this, We have women in the military, but they don't put us on the front lines. They don't know if we can fight, if we can kill. I think we can. All the general has to do is walk over to the women and say, you see the enemy over there? They say you look fat in those uniforms. (laughs) Boy, those fat comments are fighting words. Some women are fixated on their figure. They're passionate about their appearance. If only they were as passionate about spiritual things. You see, according to Peter... Rather than spend hours styling your hair or toning up areas of your anatomy or accessorizing your wardrobe, ladies, the priority of a godly wife should be the cultivation of a gentle and a quiet spirit. A godly wife should work to beautify the hidden person of the heart, to adorn herself with incorruptible beauty. And I love that word, incorruptible beauty. Ladies, a skinny waist smooth skin and a creamy complexion it won't last forever ladies it's only a matter of time time is not on your side this is why a man who marries a woman for her good looks is like the guy who buys a house for the paint job 
It's going to chip and fade over time. That's why he says outward beauty is corruptible beauty, but inward beauty is incorruptible. Inward beauty is for all eternity. Work on the inward beauty, the spirit, the spiritual side of your life. Verses 1 through 4 describe a wife's boundaries, her behavior, and her beauty. And as I said, Peter's instructions are basic. They're simple. They're doable. Wives, submit to your husbands. Learn to influence your husband without a word, just through your godly conduct, and then cultivate an inner beauty that never fades. But knowing this and doing this are two different things, aren't they? That's why in verses 5 and 6, Peter now gives us an example of a wife who obeyed God in all three areas. And her example should encourage wives today. Verses 5 and 6 tell her story. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Sarah was Abraham's wife. And she was fearless and submissive. She called her husband Lord. The equivalent of saying, Sir. Now, now ladies, I don't think you have to go that far. Yes, sir. No, sir. That might be a little extreme. A little overkill. My wife calls me, yes, sir. No, sir. But it's sort of in a sarcastic tone. But you need to respect your husband as the head of your home. It's interesting that Sarah is mentioned twice in the New Testament. In Hebrews 11, she's highlighted for her faith. Here in Peter, she's mentioned for her submission. And and here's the point. Here's what we learn from Sarah. It takes faith in God to submit to a fallible husband. I I like the amplified version here of verse 6. And you are now Sarah's daughters. If you do right and let nothing terrify you, not giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxieties unnerve you. A submissive wife has to have nerves of steel because you put a husband at the helm and it can cause some hysteria and some anxiety. This is why a wife has to be fearless. Like Sarah, she has to be brave enough to trust God to work through her husband. And Sarah is our example. Sarah's story begins in Genesis chapter 12. God called her husband Abraham to uproot his family and head to a land yet unknown. Acts 7 tells us that God called Abraham while living in Ur of the Chaldees. Ur was a resort area. It was a cultural, a luxurious, a vacation setting on the shores of the Persian Gulf. Here's some trivia for you. Ur was the first place in history where bathtubs were used by the populace. Apparently, Abraham and Sarah were rich, and they were comfortable, and apparently they were clean. Imagine the day Abraham came home from the office and told Sarah, Honey, we're moving. You know, a move is hard on a woman. I mean, a woman has nesting instincts. Women love the security of familiar settings and close relationships. But without any warning, Abe tells her he's uprooting her. 
And it do, he doesn't even know where he's headed. Where's this guy going? He doesn't know. All he can tell her is, God told me so. And at that moment, Sarah had a choice. She could trust God and follow her husband, or she could put her foot down. She could just turn to her husband and say, I'm not leaving. We'll err if we leave her. I like it, her. I'm not leaving. She could buck him or she could obey God. Sarah could support or abort Abraham's vision. Ladies, you can do that too. You can get in his way or you can help him on his way. Sarah could assist or she could hinder. And ladies today have the same choice. Will you buck him or will you get on board with your husband? It's interesting, the name Sarah means princess. And it implies strength and nobility and leadership and intelligence and dignity. Sarah wasn't spineless. She was a princess. Arthur Richard Strauss, he writes of Sarah. She was an intelligent and capable woman. But when she married Abraham, she made a decision. She established as her mission in life the task of helping her husband fulfill God's purposes for him. That was not weakness. It was God's will for her life. True biblical submission. Sarah was smart and strong and an independent woman, but she willingly chose to live her life through her husband. Too many wives today undermine God's plan for their husbands. They refuse to let him lead. They're fearful and they're faithless. Oh, her husband can sit in the driver's seat, looks good for the neighbors, just as long as she does all the navigating. Oh, it's sad when Christian wives decline to trust God and their husbands. For a moment, let me commiserate with some of you ladies. Perhaps you've seen or even tasted the abuse of male authority. My heart grieves over that. Shame on the men. Perhaps you carry some scars. Maybe you were hurt by a domineering dad or abused by a violent monster masquerading as a man. Or perhaps betrayed by an X-rated ex-spouse. And you vowed to never let yourself be vulnerable to a man again. In fact, maybe your current husband has been anything but a pillar of stability. You're tired of following a rolling stone. If he goes through one more midlife crisis, I'm going to scream. You don't want to be submissive. And I understand. But here's the truth. Sarah had reasons to adopt the very same attitude. At times, she could have refused to submit to Abraham. He made some awful mistakes. When famine struck Israel, Abraham decided to go down to Egypt for food. But he anticipated a problem. In Genesis 12, he told Sarah, You are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is my wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. That's not godly leadership. Even your husband hasn't done that kind of a dumb stunt. Now, now understand at the time, Sarah was 65 years old. 65 years old. And Abraham is worried about the hot-blooded, sex-obsessed Pharaoh wanting to add her to his harem. Sarah was the only woman in history so hot, 
she could shop for a bikini with her social security check. And she lived in the days before liposuction and facelifts and other lifts. Sarah was a knockout, but all Abraham could think about was getting knocked off. He told her to lie. Hey, hey, just just tell him you're my sister. What a man. We, We talk about Abraham as a great man of faith. Here he's willing to sacrifice his own wife to save his skin. But here's the amazing thing. Sarah cooperated. I'm not even sure she should have. But her actions showed how seriously she trusted God and submitted to her husband. Sarah must have believed that if she submitted to Abraham, God would reward her obedience and take care of her. Sarah believed that God would spare Abe's life and her morality. For Sarah, obeying her husband was obeying God. She trusted God to provide for her and to protect her despite the fact that her husband faltered. Ladies, do you believe that God is bigger than your husband's mistakes? Listen to what happened to Abraham on his excursion to Egypt. Genesis 12 verse 16 tells us the Pharaoh treated Abram well for Sarah's sake. God prospered Abraham for Sarah's sake. He also plagued the house of Pharaoh as long as Sarah was in the house. God packed Abraham's purse and protected Sarah's purity all because of a brave wife's submission. I heard a true story. It comes out of Los Angeles, California. A woman, Patrice Haslip, was charged for shooting her husband in the head. And why? She got mad because he made too many errors while filling out the entry forms for the $10 million grand prize in the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Hey, Patrice takes her sweepstakes pretty seriously. Ladies, perhaps your husband has made some mistakes that have been costly to you. And though you haven't thought of shooting him in the head, well, maybe you have, but maybe you haven't. You certainly have refused to let him be the head. Not the head of your home. But you see, God has a different plan. Despite his folly and his foolishness and even his foibles, God still wants you to submit to your husband's leadership. And if you do, God will bless your submission submission by changing and by guiding your husband. Ladies, why don't you give it a shot? That was a pun. It was supposed to be funny. Be a daughter of Sarah. Well, here's a final thought. If little green Martians landed their spaceship in your backyard and out walked these little green creatures and they found your kids playing and they came up to your kids and they said, take me to your leader. Would the kids take them to mom or to dad? Hey, there was little doubt that in Abraham's tent, the buck stopped with the buck. But it wasn't because Abraham always deserved that leadership. And there's the point. It was because Sarah had learned the importance and the power 
of a submissive wife. And ladies, that's what you need to learn. As I said earlier, there's nothing complicated in God's blueprint for marriage. The only issue is our willingness to obey. Wives, will you obey God in your boundaries, your behavior, your beauty? And will you trust God to lead your husband and make him the leader your family needs?